joined today on the podcast by former Morton, Leeds, Livingston and man of quite a few other clubs as well, Derek Lilly. Derek, thanks for joining me. It was great to have you. Ask us on, Callum. It's been nice to take part in this. Look forward to it. I'm interested to ask you. It's been a fair couple of years since you retired now, Derek. What is it you're up to now, for those of us that don't know? So now I work for a pharmaceutical company. Uh, I'm an account manager, so I do a little bit of travelling. Uh, and given what's going on in the current climate, it's, uh, it's quite an interesting industry to work in. So yeah, I've done that for the last eight or nine years now. So something I enjoy uh, and uh, yeah, it keeps me very busy indeed. Are you involved in football at all anymore from like coaching or is it just as a fan now yourself? The only thing I do have is I've been doing it over the last few years and it's linked to my next player, uh, Morton as well, Warren Hawkins. I do stats on a Saturday. So I attend uh, some of the local matches uh, to where I live. Uh, recently it's been Broadwood, before that it was uh, St Johnson. Uh, before I moved house and I, uh, and I collect all the stats at the game so there's a lot of ex-players that do it uh, throughout the country uh, so that, uh, for every game there's a there's a player there or someone there collecting specific stats for Opta uh, and so that, that's probably the only involvement I've done a little bit of scouting uh, for Ross County <coughs> excuse me uh, one of my a good friend of mine Jim McIntyre and at the time Jim was there I've done a bit of scouting for Reminding back to when you were younger, Derek, when did you start playing the game and what position did you start out as? Do you know, my first ever position in football was a goalkeeper. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was so bizarre, you know, going back to, I think I must have been, I don't know, maybe six or seven or something like that. Uh, I wanted, wanted to be a goalkeeper and I always fixed my head that I, I've got no idea what it was. There was a, a Manchester United goalkeeper called Gary Bailey. I always remember him, blonde hair. And I don't know what it was as a kid, it was just somebody that sort of, I don't know if it was watching match of the day or whatever it was, but I just wanted to be a goalkeeper. Uh, so that, that was my initial into in football, but then I got to about the age, I think about, I must have been maybe 11 or 12, and I was I was probably the fastest, I was the fastest one on the team, you know, and it was bizarre being a goalkeeper, but I ended up then, I played, I went from goalkeeper to right wing, uh, and, and then as I got a little bit older, probably the 14, 15, I more, became more of a sort of striker. Uh, and then obviously that's kind of kind of when I ended up. In terms of your boys' club sort of years, what were they like? Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I mean, we played for the Erskine Boys Club, growing uh, up, so I grew up in Erskine, and really really good setup. Uh, there was a, a one of the players that was in the team was actually a boy who played for Celtic, Brian and Neil. We we mm-hmm. had quite a good team, and uh, and I used to play against uh, like good up the arc and team support Glasgow and Paisley and that sort of league. So. Uh, teams in Glasgow, so it was a pretty pretty tough league, and it was uh, yeah you could you could be playing some interesting teams in some interesting places, but I loved it, absolutely loved it, and it was something my my brother did. Uh, he played for the sort of the year groups above, and, and then I went into it, and I played there I think from the under tens to about under fifteens, and then I moved to Everton Boys Club, uh, and I don't really know what triggered it. It's, I don't know if it was they were wanting to sign me or I just. I just, I just, I looked for a change. I think I don't actually know what triggered that actual move, uh, but it was, a, it was a different league. They played in a slightly different league as well. So at that point, uh, I went and played for them, and I think it was a bit more challenging in terms of the leagues and stuff like that. But then uh, after a few years later, it was about two, two and a half years later, I signed for Morton. So 
Yeah, it's been most of the Erskine Boys Club and a short spell at Everton Boys Club and, and that, nothing to do with Everton Football Club because that's what we were called uh, and then into Morton. Maybe a daft question asking this. See, when you signed for Morton, was that the first time you thought, I've got a real chance of being a professional footballer? It probably was. I mean, I, I, I went on loads and loads of trials when I was a kid. Uh, probably I went to Clyde Bank and Fairland, Celtic. I trained with Rangers for a, a period of time. Uh, never actually, I played some games with them, but I never signed or anything like that. I, was, I used to go training uh, kind of every week. I think it was like once a week or something I used to go. But I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of I guess I always kind of wanted to do it, but I never really got to. I wasn't up to a sign for Morton. There was no point because uh, I was already working when I signed for Morton. So, you know, whether I thought I was going to be professional or not, I don't know. But when I signed for Morton, that was the first step into that world. And you thought, God, I've, I've got a chance here. You know, something, you know, uh, at 17, well, I think it was, I've, I've got a chance of doing something here. And it was only signed on part time, but. You know, uh, it was it was an opportunity I couldn't turn down. Before we go on to your time at Morton, what's it like when you're trialling at lots of different clubs? Is it something that you've got to go into with as much confidence as possible? Because obviously you're trying to impress everywhere you go at that stage. I know it's always, it's always difficult because you come up, uh, you know, and you're the stranger and you're just, you know, obviously scouts ask you to come along and you get playing a game and you, you do, you just... Just go to go and try your best, and you know, and then after it's kind of thanks. And if the phone back then you didn't have the mobile phone there, like you just waited for maybe a phone call at the house or your football manager saying they want to go and trial again. Or, but it was, it was, I, I just, I never thought anything of it. I just got a trial and I go and play and then just gave it my best. And uh, that, that's the way I, I looked at it. I was never, I never get disheartened by not going back or being rejected. I just, because I enjoyed playing football and, uh, uh, that never really dampened my spirit, so to speak. So, but it was probably at the time. I, I never again. I, I was never really saved by it, and uh, I just, I just went and done it. Probably was really nervous on the day, but you just go and do your bit, and hopefully something comes of it. And, uh, and that's kind of what happened when I, when I played. You know, got my trial for Morton. You know, I'm but thankful they asked me back, but that's kind of the way it panned out with them. When you signed for Morton, you mentioned there that you initially went in sort of part-time. What was that like for you training a couple of days and working away as well? It was difficult. It was it was really, really difficult. I mean, albeit I was young and, uh, you know, but a young player, you know, your performances are erratic at the best of times, you know. And I think, you know, depending on what sort of day I had, I mean, I was, I was a welder uh, in Renfrew, an engineering company. It's, you're on your feet all day and it's quite a quite a hard job and you know, physically you could get to the end of the day and you're, you're exhausted and you know, so some days you could go to training and you're just you know, you're knackered, effectively you're knackered and you, you don't have a lot of energy. Other days you know you feel better and it's the same on a Saturday and, and I I wouldn't say I overly enjoyed it. I, I did enjoy it when I was there, but looking back on it it was really really tough and I I don't know if it's a you know, just, just I think because I'm so inconsistent, you're in the team and you kind of went along with it. And, you know, I, I didn't, don't get me wrong, I did enjoy it, but when you're looking back, it was, it was a lot of times you, you were just physically knackered. And, you know, and you're, you're playing a game on a Saturday and you don't feel great, you know, which is which is something I never, ever really enjoyed, you know. And, and so to move it away from that into full time was, that, that was a real game changer for me. Who were the sort of best players for you, senior pros, when you just joined Morton at that young age? Because I, I spoke to Alan Mahood recently, and I know obviously John McMaster was a coach at this time, but he said John was just relentless with all the young boys from a coaching point of view. But who were the players that were really good role models? Uh, 
Drinking culture at that time. What was was it hard not to get caught up in that at a young age? Well, I when I was forced, I think because I lived a bit further away and I was a bit you know I was a bit younger and I, and I was plus I was working as well and some of the at that time some of the players were full time. Well, Alan Mahood and Derek McInnes and I think maybe Derek Collins and there was quite a few boys that were full time. So you know they would go out and stuff like that with some of the older guys and. There was quite a big gap age-wise, and I never really got sucked in because I jumped my car and drive home because I got the next day and I was doing stuff like that. So I never ever really uh, got into it, especially when I was part-time. I never ever really... I probably bought a drink on the bus coming home from games and stuff like that. That was probably the only thing I really did. But in terms of the you know, the, the drinking after games and stuff, the guys would all go out and do their own thing. But I was, I was too young, you know, to... Can I even? It wasn't going to be my scene. You know what I mean? I, would, I didn't want to get with it. I would, I would rather go home and go out with my mates. 
In terms of, I asked a lot of players this when they come on, what do you remember about your, your professional debut? We've all dreamed of being professionals as young boys, young girls listening to this. I never made it myself, so I always am interested to ask, what's it like when you make your debut? Is it nerves? Is it excitement? A mix of both? I, I definitely a bit of both. I mean, my debut, if I mind rightly, was against Partick Thistle. Uh, that's when I made my debut, and it was I am a girl pulled my side on the, I think maybe the Thursday night or something like before it uh, to say that I was I was starting or even say I was in the squad. I can't quite remember how it happened because when I joined Morton, it was very I was very quick into the first team action. You know, in terms of done a few trials, played a few reserve games and most Saturday was on the bench but I got my start against Party Thistle. I remember it being very warm for a start and you were a wee bit intimidated because I always remember the guy, it was a guy, Willie, Willie Jameson, never forget his name, big centre-half at Party Thistle, probably early 30s and I was 17, young whippersnapper running about and I went up for a header and he smashed my ear open with an elbow, helped me with an elbow, my Jeez. ear just burst open and bleeding. And uh, and, I, and I, it's like welcome to professional football, you know. <laughs> so it's the welcome for me. But uh, it all gets it all. Uh, it's a bit of a bluff, you know, because there's so much going on, and you don't really remember. And there's very few debuts that actually you play that well. I'd say, you know, in terms of young players coming in, you just sort of get on and, and play the game. I don't remember anything happening. They think like I hurt the bar, I hurt the post, then like, I just probably done okay. As a forward-thinking player. You make your debut, must feel great. Does it give you the appetite to push on, get into the team more often and get that first goal under your belt as well? Oh, it, was, it, was, it was brilliant because I, I was, can I always remember, it was quite a, I felt it was, it was quite a unique situation that when I played in the reserves, uh, I was always, and it's not like you've blown your own trumpet, I was always good enough. I was, I'd probably be the best player, if you know what I mean, in that respect. If I played in a reserve game, I would be the one that'd be a standout. There might be a few other boys who maybe weren't in the first team. And so I was sort of, sort of in the middle between reserves and first team, but, you know, it was a gap, a, a, a bit of a step to make the first team and beat that level. But when you get the taste of it and, uh, you know, and you get in there and you're playing games against big sides, I mean, Dundee's and Kilmarnock's, at that time, they're all pretty decent teams, even though they're big clubs. And uh, and then finally getting my my first goal uh, was against Dundee at Dens Park and it was a one it was a winner one nil uh, and that was just it was just phenomenal just absolutely phenomenal. In terms of getting your first goal, is that a sort of night where you mentioned it's away from home? Yeah, I'm sure you had a few beers in the, the the bus back home that night. I must have done. I must have done because it was it was well shooting uphill. I think I scored. I think I scored in the first half. I can't remember. But I was shooting uphill. And it was always, it's really vivid. I can remember the goals if it was yesterday. It was one of those ones. I'm probably not the best writer when I've got time to think about things. I, I can do okay, but, you know, I'm more, I was more instinctive. And uh, but the, the ball got played down. And because it was so late, the ball skidded through. And I had to run a fair bit to get in, in at an angle. And then I put it under the goalkeeper. Probably more luck than anything else. I don't know if I actually placed it. I just put it under. But... I, I just after I remember I got subbed in the second half and the manager wrote a bit in the paper just about you know uh, days of, I think it was like days of glory or something I basically said after I scored the goal my game went to thought it was terrible you know I was just like, <laughs> caught up in the moment so to speak and uh, I definitely think I had a few beers coming down the road I definitely do. Right, obviously we talked then about your first goal against Indeed. Do you remember your first goal at Capital? 
of playing at Capolo it's obviously good playing away from home getting that goal but see playing at Capolo in front of a home support and it, obviously Morton in the sort of early 90s mid 90s had, had a, a really good crowd going to, going to the games what was it like playing at Capolo every week with that following behind you? It was phenomenal I mean the first three years I was part time the club was a bit of a roller coaster and actually the the year the season just before I went I went full time to get relegated to, to second division so you know, as you can imagine, the Morton fans are they're not shy in coming forward, so it was quite difficult. You know, you were getting pelters uh, from the fans. But when we went down the second division, and I went full time, that first season, I think I scored about 18, 19 or 20 goals, and we won the league, and it was phenomenal. And that the support the support for me was always great. I mean, the, the, the three years I was here full time before I moved on, the fans were just exceptional, and myself, they were, they were always good to me. Don't get me wrong, you get stuck if you play badly, but... You know, I think uh, Morton were notorious for bringing young players through, and I was, you know, there was obviously McInnes moved on, and Alan came back, and there was players leaving, and, and I was one of the next one on the conveyor belt, so to speak. So the, the, the fans, the fans were great with me. In terms of the season where you win that second division, what's it like in terms of winning games every week, going for a title, and then getting over the line? Because no matter what level of football, winning a title and winning a trophy is a great achievement. It was, uh, you know, I just remember, uh, I don't know what it was, if it was just a group of players that we had. The, Morton, the manager signed the uh, Warden at that time uh, from Berwick, which was quite a big signing for us at the time. And um, and so obviously, it, 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 what, the gaffer being the gaffer, Berwick should. Warden had been in the second division, scored a few goals at Berwick, so he was bringing in a goal scorer. And ultimately, it doesn't matter how how good you defend the bottom line is you need to score goals and, and read goals in my team you know like that season as well we had, but Raja Bajamaki came that season as well and Yanni so we actually had thinking back on it we, you know in Derek McInnes and Alan Hood we'd have, we'd have right good sides probably you know you don't appreciate how good it is uh, but the season was, it was relentless because we just had this hunger as a group of players to do well you know big John Anderson at the back uh, a lot of young, young, quite young guys who were ambitious and wanted to do well, but they loved it and they all got on really well. And, you know, we, we just had this drive. It was just, I don't know where it came from. It was just a group of players with just real drive to, to, to do well. And actually, and we started the season off, well, I think we started the season off pretty well, but we obviously got up ahead of steam. And I think we were one of the, we were probably the big scalp in that league. So to, to win the league uh, was phenomenal. I think we beat them back at home. Uh, to win the league, I think I scored a penalty against them that day. Uh, to win the league, and because they'd worked on McLeod as a manager, so they yeah. were they were obviously high profile in terms of that. They worked on McLeod being there, but just it was brilliant. You know, it was just but you get momentum, you're winning games, you're picking up points, and you've just got so much confidence going into every game. And 
you know, we never got phased by it, and it was brilliant. In terms of some of the characters you mentioned there, I've got to ask you about Derek McInnes. When I interviewed Alan, he said Derek McInnes is just, he was a great player, but he would make sure he'd, he'd a sunbed and his hair was perfect for, for getting out, for team photos and being on the pitch. Is that who he was as well, from your point of view? Uh, okay, it was. Derek was, was a tub of gel or something, but it was always... <laughs> You know, just a slight shade of kind of orangey brown, kind of mahogany type colour. He was always a lot with the hair swept back or whatever, and the shorts pulled up. And you know, he, I, he always was opposing. You know, I think yeah, that's just in his, that was in his makeup. And uh, uh, if he was chocolate, he was always that type of person. But you know, and but in saying that as well, you've got he was a great professional. You know, he he was going to make it to a higher level. You know. There was no doubt that was going to happen, and obviously getting moved to Rangers, a dream move from. But there was no doubt he was going to make it to some club at a higher level. It was just he was he did determination, he had ability, but he did determination to make it, and and it just just this real sort of desire. And I think that that rubbed off probably the players around him, and there was a lot of players like that. So that was it was a huge a huge benefit. But yeah, I was, I can completely agree with Alan in terms of the. That side in terms of him being a poser. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of you mentioned the the two fins there, Rajamaki and, and Yanni, what were they like when they came over? Because I actually interviewed Yanni last week and I said to him, coming I know Finland and Scotland climate wise you could say is quite similar, but it's a big difference in terms of a league that he described the physicality over here has been a big challenge when he just arrived. Did 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 you and the boys help them settle in, or because they came over really as a parent, did they help each other settle in? I think they did. I mean, Ma, uh, Yanni didn't speak great English. Marco did. Marco was pretty good with his English, so uh, that was a big help to Yanni uh, initially, you can imagine. But obviously, the two of them being coming from a foreign country and being together was, was you know, it was probably like, it was great for both of them, I suppose. You know, there's nothing better than having a friend, especially being in a foreign country. So. That must have been a big help, but we, you know, you probably hear the story. We know we know Rajamaki was a, a flamboyant player, but you know sometimes Rad, Marco would pass the ball and try to score goals. That you know, I think that Marco uh, Yanni was a top class player. I mean, he played. This is probably something I didn't appreciate back then. He was playing in the Finland national team. Exactly. You know, he, albeit he was part part time back home, but he was he was a top top player, and he was probably one of the best pros that, that played. You know, at my, when I was there full time, he was probably one of the best pros there. And it's that old one, you know, if he hadn't if he had done his knee in the season, we were trying to win promotion again into Premier League. There's every chance we might have got up because he was a massive loss for us. But Marco was brilliant. The two guys, the two guys were great, and you probably hear some funny stories that you know. I think when the gaffer, we all know the gaffers get really bad knees, and <laughs> you know sometimes the gaffer will be picking the boys up to go to train in the morning, and it didn't come out until. Months after, until Yanni and Marco got to know the boys and and, uh, and could speak better English, but the gaffer used to drive his cars. He drive his car. It was a big white Volvo, but he used his walking sticks with the brake and the, the accelerator. <laughs> if his knees had locked up in the car, so sometimes the gaffer's knees had locked up in the car, he couldn't straighten his leg out. He was using, he was using his walking sticks with the brake and accelerator. The guy, they couldn't believe it. That's tremendous. <laughs> so just think like that. It was hysterical. You know, I can always remember them saying that. It was just that was just, that was the gaffer. You know, it was, uh, but you could imagine being a foreign player and seeing the manager driving a car. Like, he must be thinking, what is going on? <laughs> In terms of the guy, Alan McGraw is obviously known as it's been such a, a gentleman, but see, he's a manager as well. How much credit should he get as a manager? Because he did a great job when you look back at his time at Morton. Yeah, I think he's, 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 he's,
Well, he did. He did. You know, and, and I think and you always hear it. You hear it now, and it's you know, more so than ever. A team, a manager judged by signings. You know what I mean? It's they can be. You know, maybe the gaffer wasn't so much like hands-on coach. He was like a motivator, and he was great one-on-one and talking to you. And you know, he, he just kind of he loved all the young guys. You know, the, all the young players. I think he just loved to see young players like doing well and uh, give them the opportunity. And, but, uh, you know, he signed so many good players, you know, and, and he wasn't scared to throw them in. And I think because of that, you know, the players respected him and he didn't want to let the gaffer down, you know, that was the thing. It's, uh, everybody really, really respected him, but it was just uh, it was just brilliant to work with. And, you know, when they brought in Peter Cormack as a coach and fun, I think that was just moving full time as well. Peter was great coach, you know, and the two of them were great because the gaffer would... He'd have your one-on-one chats with you, but Peter would do all the coaching and stuff like that, so it was a really, really good mix. From your point of view, Derek, you were, when you had that first spell at Morton, you're playing well, you're playing every week, you're scoring goals, and there's interest starting to, to come in on you. And As you mentioned, you won the second division, you were close to getting promotion to the Premier League with Morton. See when the interest comes in from such high-profile clubs, is it hard to keep your feet in the ground, or is it a case of... That you just try and block it out and keep doing what you're doing? It wasn't I, because I mean, the gaffer was pretty good because the gaffer would put headlines in the papers and he would say scouts were coming in. And I think scouts did come, especially before I did move, you know, maybe even the season before. I went on a trial to Blackburn, I think, I don't know what age I was, 18 or 19, I went down for a trial. Uh, and it was kind of the wish, you know, and that was through, probably through contacts with the gaffer and young player, and you go down and. But it was it's hard to keep your, your feet in the ground. But I think, you know, I think when I got into that season, I tried to, the season we, we never got up and into the next season, I would just continue. I think and then I really believed I could make the step up to a bigger team. I think when we just missed out, well, that season we just lost out of playing against Dundee United and you're mixing it with some good players and some good teams. You're thinking, I, I can, I'm capable of making that step up. And you know... You know that you, you know you're a threat to the, the opposition. You know if Alan's sort of hiding, you give me the ball, give me the ball. You know you want the ball all the time because you, you think I'm, I'm going to do something. You know that's you just get confident. But when you, it was probably my sort of 21, 22, that sort of era when I went. I, I really believed I could make that step up. But you're right when don't get me wrong. The players would wind you up. So soon Glenn Hoddle's come to watch you do a party. You know and be getting wound up before the game. Well, you better play well today. Glenn's come to see you. You know, you get headlines in the paper about scouts coming to watch you, you know, a bit of a laugh and all that, especially if you play badly, you know what I mean? Uh, so it's difficult, it's difficult because everybody, it's easy to get carried away and everybody asks you about it, you know, family and friends and all that. So it's difficult just to keep your, keep your head down. In terms of the move to Leeds, was George Graham a big influence in that, being a fellow Scot? It was. There was and there was two, you were laughing at this, there was two reasons. So... I don't know if you know the full story about how it, how it actually happened. So the bit the bit that the bit that I fully know about is Dundee United put a bid in for I think it was three hundred grand or something like that, and the club accepted it. But apparently before that, actually Jim Duffy put a bid in, and that's what triggered it. He was at Hibs at the time. Yep. He triggered it because I think I think sometimes what happens is you know like so you have some managers who will be saying if you're going to sell that player, let us know. So. Obviously, the gap, the, the, somebody's put a bid in, the gaffer must have been phoning around, but we've got a bid in for Derek, you know, what you want to do. So, then you need to bid 300 grand. I went up and spoke to uh, Tommy McLean at the time, with the manager, and Jim McLean was chairman. Agreed a deal, 
sat down and agreed all the numbers and all that. Uh, but the, the thing was, they were wanting Sandy Stewart to go. Sandy Stewart, no, oh, Sandy Robertson. It was uh, played the Rangers. Now they were wanting Sandy Robertson to go to Morton, and he didn't want to go. Uh, but also, there was another part to that as well, where at that time it was fax machines and also phones. You just need to try and phone through. Morton had to release me from my contract, and. The chairman at the time, apparently, he knew that Crystal Palace and Leeds and a few other teams were coming to watch me on a Saturday, and they never released me. So I went home after speaking to Dundee United, agreeing a contract. I think, I don't even know, I can't even remember if I signed it, but the deal was agreed. But Morton never let me go. So I turned up at Fir Hill on a Saturday morning, or Saturday afternoon, to play for Morton. And I think it, was, it might have been against... I don't know if it was Clyde or Andrew. I don't know if it was one of these where they didn't have their ground sorted out. It wasn't. It wasn't Patrick Fisher. It was another team, and uh, and the boys were like, surprised to see me because it must have been on the, the Thursday. I'd went away and spoke to teams on the Friday, and then I turned up on the Saturday morning for the game. And everybody's like, "What's going on?" So, uh, but it was that then. That was real. That was quite surreal because then you're, 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 you're there's money getting mentioned, there's transfer fee. It was all becoming very real, you know what I mean? Up until then, it was all talk, but then it was becoming real. But uh, So it was quite interesting. I played on a Saturday, scored two goals, and then on, I think it was a Sunday, Crystal Palace put a bid in for 500 grand. I flew down to London, I think it was on a Monday, it must have been, and agreed a deal with Crystal Palace, agreed all the figures. Halfway through my medical, we left and went to, uh, into central London to meet George Graham. And at the time, I thought to myself, Crystal Palace, David Hopkins was at Crystal Palace, so I wasn't phased by going down. I thought, right, I know somebody. I yeah. know somebody at the team, that's good. Uh, but I thought, I don't know if my wife would want to go to London, you know. Was, I just don't know if it will go down very well. And don't get me wrong, we would have went, but I thought it would have been difficult to settle. So because Leeds was halfway, I'm thinking, and it's a bigger club, and I thought, well, and it's George Graham, I thought, if I'm going to think of something, I'm as well starting at the biggest club I can. If things don't work out, then I can, I'll can, i fall down the ladder, so to speak. So I thought, let's just go to the biggest club, and it's a wee bit closer to home, and it was, uh, and it was, and it was George Graham. So it was a massive, massive pull by him. What did George Graham say to you? Because he's obviously known as being a big character, and he's, he's not shy in the opinion. You know, it's funny, it's probably a thing, I don't even remember that much. I can remember meeting him and getting introduced to him, and it was, there was a scout at the time, a uh, guy, uh, Ian Mitchell, his name was, and he was Scottish, and I think he was really friends, he was great friends with George Graham, I think he'd always been scouting and that, and uh, I, I actually probably done more talking, I'd done more talking to the scout, uh, and, and doing that, and at the time I was coming in as just as a sort of squad player, and, you know, it was good for them, but I think George Graham, it's just, again, it was... You had to work hard. He was a great coach, and you had to work hard and get stuck in and stuff like that. But I don't. It was probably a different generation where, you know, like just like you see managers now and players are chatting all the time. George Graham was was he was a bit more aloof and he distanced himself from the players. One of the coaches was Eddie Gray. And Eddie was brilliant. David O'Leary, assistant manager. These are guys you talk to all the time. But in terms of the managers, he didn't really have a lot of contact with them. What was the standard like when you moved down to Leeds? Because, as you say, at the time, one of the biggest clubs in the country and they're doing well at the top level of football. So what was the standard like going from playing in Scotland in the Championship to, to going down to Leeds in the Premier League? 
Oh, it was incredible. Honestly, Callum, it was well, in the first day for training. I mean, I met the first couple of players I met was Tony De Rigo, who's at the England left back, Carlton Palmer played for England, and he Ian Rush, he had uh, obviously Nigel Martin, goalkeeper Tony Abo over there, Thomas Brolin, Lee Sharp, uh, Gary Kearney, full internationals, yeah. and it was just like, oh my god! But in some in some respects, it was quite kind of quite weird. Cause I'm thinking, I, I, I've been signed to come here. You know, because they obviously must think I'm good enough and don't get me wrong, but when you see the, the ability of some of these players close up, it was just incredible. Just, I mean, Ian Rush is a finisher. He, he couldn't run anymore. His legs were gone. But you used to see him in training. He would just left foot, right foot, right in the corner all the time, just straight in the corners and just so composed. And, you know, just, this is where, if it, and if it, there's levels, you know, and you step up the levels, you just, you see players see the game differently. You know, I would, They'd be passing a ball to me, I'd tell me to be somewhere, but I couldn't see the run. I, I didn't, they would be saying, no, you should be there. I couldn't see that, you know. And as you get a bit older, you realise yourself, actually, you see the game better when it comes to experience. But what you notice is as you go up through the levels, even some of the younger players, they see the game differently. You know, they, they see things that other players can't see, and that's what the best, best players are like, you know. The best players have always got time on the ball. You know, it just but the, the level probably took me about six to nine months to get up, but a good six months to get up to speed in terms of fitness and ability and getting closer to where I had to be to get near the first team. You mentioned Thomas Brolin there. I want to ask about him in particular because he was a sort of poster boy of that sort of a generation in the early nineties, and then he came to England. He, he did really. He, was, he played really well for a while, and then things just completely tailed off for him. What was he like to play with? It was weird, you know, we played in the reserve games quite a few times and he just done his own thing. Thomas didn't really intermingle with anybody. He used to fly home to Sweden on a Friday and fly back to England on a Monday. And I think George Graham hated that because generally when he went home, it was something to press about partying. Because years before that, he was like this, he was a massive star at the yep. Italian 90 or something. Aye, he's a poster boy. You know, he was just huge and he, he, he was on a ridiculous amount. I mean, I think... You know, probably in, in terms nowadays, he was probably a player that would have been, he was on maybe 15 or 20 grand a week, and that was nearly 30 years ago. No, sorry, uh, 20 years ago. Uh, nowadays, that's maybe somebody on like two or 300 grand a week, you know. He was just sitting there taking his money. He, he, was, he wasn't really that bothered. It, it, and he was just turning up to the games and played him. I didn't really remember having any conversations with the guy. He just played them. You know, I remember playing up front in a, a reserve game and up front was myself, Tony, Tony Yavot and Thomas Bowen, you know, and I'm, I'm, well, I'm uh, 23 or something, and I'm thinking, what is going on here? You know, playing with two two guys that were just incredible players, but uh, it wasn't George Graham's type of player, you know, they, they weren't going to really run about, you know, that, uh, and that's what he wanted, he wanted really hard workers, you, you need it, all that you need to be a good player, but you have to be a, a hard worker. Did Tony Yeboah ever keep going on about that goal he scored, or did they did they keep that quiet? I know his okay, goals were, were incredible. So they were. Uh, hold on, just two seconds. Uh, the goals were incredible. There, he never really, again playing. He kept himself. Himself. He was a bit of a. The one thing he used to he used to be in training, and he used to get young boys to just chuck the balls from the wing in and left foot, right foot, with ball and went in net. So see, looking back on it. That was something he did all the time, you know, that little bit of magic before it, but he was, he was 
built beside the house. He was just physically so strong, and you know, he was somebody shooting when he was doing shooting and stuff like that. It was just incredible. But he did used to practice, you know, following the ball in from the twenty yards out for crosses. So his, his technique was incredible. But it was again, it was a lot of these players. George Graham had came in maybe I don't know six months before the time me maybe maybe a bit longer. All these players probably knew they were going to leave because he wasn't playing them. So it was always a bit weird playing with them in the reserves because half of them didn't really care. You know, they were all what millionaires and didn't really care. There's me, you know, trying to run about and uh, you know, show, show off what I can do type thing. So it was, it was always a bit funny. But uh, I had some interest. And it was a real kind of, it was like walking in a Panini album when I signed all these, <laughs> all these players, you know. <laughs> That's what it felt like. In terms of those two guys, Brolin and Yabo, you mentioned that they were quite quiet. Who were the big characters? I interviewed David Robertson a while back, and obviously he's known he's been quite a big character in the game, and, and he did say he loved his time at Leeds and he loved the city. It was just injuries that kind of got in his way. Who were the big characters, and what was your time at Leeds like and, and playing in the Premier League, the highest standard of football in, U- in the UK? It's been one of the biggest characters from when I remember to him was Carlton Palmer. You know, Carlton was, you know, he, he, you could hear him before you could see him. He was always dead loud, you know, so, so unbelievably confident, you know, fit, fit guy. And, you know, I don't think he was George Graham's type of player. He wasn't going to be there for a long time, but I tell you what, I mean, he, he got stuck in and uh, he, was, he was a really big character. I mean, guys like Lee Sharp, very vocal. Uh, Gary Kelly and fullback, you know, yeah. quite a young guy, but I was about the same age as he did. He played for Ireland, been in the first team for about five years. Uh, guys were very, very vocal, uh, big, big characters in life and solo aggressions. So, and there was a lot of new players coming into the team as well when I was there, but mainly uh, Sharp was about when David Hopkins signed, yeah. he was there as well. Uh, I'm trying to think who else would have been, all the young players that were coming through. I mean, you had a kills and guys, but they were all starting to break into the first team, so. I'd say probably like Gary Kelly was one of the biggest characters. Lee Boyer was he was already in the first team in Alder. He was quite a big character, Lee Sharp. Um, so there were a lot of strong characters. Guys were you know that when you looked at their CVs you thought, My God, you know, some some players but that step up I can remember one thing that stands out in my in me was for me was I was down to Chelsea, I think I was on the bench, uh, and I walked out and the old beat there was only three stands at the time, I think they were dull one of your stands. Mark Hughes played for Chelsea at the time, and and that was like wow, Mark Hughes. It was like you know, I felt like a hero growing up, and but the noise of the crowd and the crowd loved him down there, and I just it was like my god. And then you're playing against like guys like Marcel Desailly, French World Cup winners. You're thinking, <laughs> this, is just, this is surreal, you know. So some of the, some of the teams been a, I came on as a sub at high for a couple of minutes, you know, and you're just like you're trying to take it all in. You know, you feel as if you're, in, you're, you know, you feel as if you're sort of, you're not always there. You feel, it's like an out-of-body experience. It's a bit weird to explain it, you know. It's, uh, and that was probably the thing for me. It's trying to get used to that playing in big, big stadiums, you know. I mean, it takes a wee bit of getting used to it if you're not used to it. Um, but the, the, the step up in the quality of the players, I mean, the young players with Jonathan Brookgate, Harry Kewles, also Lee Boyer was there, uh, Paul Robinson, the goalkeeper, uh, Steve McPhail, Ian Hart, these are all boys that uh, were breaking out the first team and you know, the ability of these young boys, a lot of them were in the youth team together, they sort of grew up together. So they, a lot of them came in the first team together and there was no there was, you know, there was no there was no, uh, no doubt they were going to do well, but they just seemed to take the club to the next level, you know, in terms of because David O'Leary threw a lot of them in 
and they, they never looked back. And they, but just that whole year of the court, I mean, me and David Alberson room together, I mean, David, me and David the same, the same agent. So when I signed, I was part of another deal because my agent was also talking to George Graham about signing David Alberson at the time. So I was part of part of a bigger deal, you know what I mean? Uh, and me and David were laughing. I thought David, I mean, I, I grew up a Rangers fan next minute, you know, I'm sitting sitting next, you know, different beds, obviously, but sitting kind of next to each other. David's chucking me wine gums and we're sitting having a laugh and I carry on, you know what I mean? So it was mad, you know, and, uh, and I felt as if I kind of looked up to David because I was like a young guy from Scotland and he moved down his family and David was kind of great. He was really good to me. We used to go to his house quite a lot and go out for dinner and his wife came out to sort of talking to my, my, my wife, uh, Shona, and so it was going to games together and all that, so stuff like that, it really, really helped. I've got to ask you about Ellen Road. We talk about the kind of modern arenas and the new builds like Tottenham Stadium and things like that. But for me, grounds like Ellen Road have always got a place because it's just a great place to, to watch football. I've not experienced it live myself yet. It's on my list to experience. But when you just watch a game in the telly or anything, it's a full house. It just seems that a great atmosphere and a great set of fans to play behind at Leeds. Uh, that was one thing that sticks out in my head that George Graham says to me when I was signing. Uh, he says, Leeds is a one-team city. He says, you look at and I never gave that a thought. He says, but you know, if you go to London, you've got all the different teams. You've got Glasgow, you've got Rangers Celtic, you know, even Dundee, you've got two teams. He says, Leeds is a one-team city. So, and he was right, you know, because the support was incredible, you know, in terms of getting back. I mean, the, the noise just now, I wasn't going to walk out of the tunnel because the bigger stand that's in front as you walk out uh, and just that roar, you know, was just, just incredible. I mean, I, First, when I signed in the March, we played the last game of the season was against uh, Middlesbrough. Live on Sky, full house, 40,000, and Middlesbrough had to win the game to stay in the league. And it was Janino, the wee Brazilian guy who played. And I scored in that game. They got chopped off for offside. Uh, but the roar and the noise, it was just, it was a proper cauldron. Uh, and it was last game of the season, and it was just, it was just, the atmosphere was incredible, you know, live on Sky also. But, it was just, you know, it was just kind of, it was, like, it was like a dream, you know what I mean? It was just like, wow, this is happening. And I actually played quite well. I remember, I mean, looking back on it, looked at a few video clips, I actually done quite well in that game. One lucky note to score, but we won the game 1 0, but Brian Dean scored. But there, another one, Brian Dean and Rod Wallace, two other couple of strikers, Jimmy Foy Castlebank, forget about Jimmy, God. Uh, some names that, but I mean, Jimmy was fun. Going back to characters, I forgot all about him. What a character Jimmy was uh, at my time there. But so yeah, it was the whole thing was incredible. But the stadium, the city, the people. I scored my first goal for Leeds against Barnsley, and I was driving home, and I was driving through Leeds. And I can remember sitting at a set of traffic lights, and there was guys driving past, tooting the horns and all that, and waving. And the, the, the scene—it was me in the car, and it was just—it just felt amazing. When I spoke to David Robertson, you mentioned the characters there. And Jimmy Floyd, and I'll come to him in a wee minute. But see, when you score that first goal for Leeds, and especially Barnes, that's a kind of team that's roughly relatively nearby. Is it just an absolute buzz to, to in a way, not feel like you've made it because you've obviously made it, but just be even getting to Leeds and playing at Morton. But how does it feel when you score a goal at that kind of level? It was great, you know. I think that was a bit minute for any. I mean, I've seen over the years that some strikers I mean guys with big, big price tags have went down to England and, and, and not even scored a goal. You know, they've just never really been able to cut it. And 
you know, for me it was it was it was proven not only to other people but to myself that I was I could play at that level and, and the only way you can do that as a striker to score goals. It doesn't matter how good you play, you're judged on what if you can score goals and we, when I first joined there was you know, you're finding your feet and you're learning, you missed a lot of chances and you just get wind you just get wound up and uh, boys will wind you up and all that and, and but I remember about three or four months in the build up to that game, I'd, I'd signed in the March, but probably by the September, October, I was finding my feet in the reserves and I was playing like every sort of Tuesday, Wednesday, and then in the first team on Saturday, and I was scoring quite a lot of goals and I was getting better and better and better. And, and I always remember that I was on a great, I was buying in goals every week and doing really, really well in the reserves, and you were just waiting for that chance. I came on quite a few games as a sub, and it, nothing fell for me, you know, you just never really got a chance. but that game especially, was kind of local derby. It was away from home. I was chucking it down with rain. The guy, our fans were all behind the goals. I think the game was, I think it might have been December, January. It was awful weather. We were getting beat 2 now at half time when I was on the bench. And then, uh, I can't remember who scored the first goal. Went 2-1. I think the fact it was Alfie, Alfie Inga Haaland. Uh, talk about a name now, Haaland. Absolutely. Uh, he scored the first, he scored, was, I mean, it's Alfie's son now, who's obviously the big star. He's the big star. He scored the, uh, the first, the, our first goal, so it was 2-1, I think that might have been, so, and then we came in at half-time, or 2-1 down, I went on, about 25 minutes to go, or something, 20-25 minutes to go, uh, and, keeper, Nigel Martin kicked the ball, I went up and challenged for header, completely missed the ball, but put the centre-half off, and Miro Wallace scored, and then it was like, dying, it felt like dying minutes, I don't know how long was left, but, uh, the ball was out in the wing. I think it may have been, it was either Lord Wallace or Gary Keller. I can't remember who, who crossed it in and I just kind of nicked it in. And, and there was, it was at the end where all the Leeds fans were and were soaked. And it was just, you know, scoring the winner, 3 2 game, you're getting beat 2 0 in front of the, the fans. And it was just, you know, if you were going to write a script and scoring your first goal, you couldn't have wrote much of a better script. It was, it was just, uh, you know, you came off, I felt like 10 foot tall coming off it. You know, you felt, really? you felt I've kind of, that's me, I'm here, I've arrived, you know. In terms of that feeling of arrival, playing at Leeds, as, as we talked about, Ellen Road, playing at the highest level, challenging. In terms of the managers you had there, obviously you had George Graham, who's known as being quite defensive-minded, then David O'Leary takes over. How did they compare as managers during that time? Uh, it's, so, it's so, so different. You know, I think um, George Graham was a you know, very high-profile, quite aloof. You know what I mean? He's obviously been there, seen it, done it, you know, Got the T-shirt, wrote the book, done it all. David O'Leary, I mean, obviously huge player, you know, played all his career at Arsenal. Uh, but David was totally, you know, he was, he was a lot more laid back. And obviously a good coach. He was great with the players, and I think because he was one of the, maybe the few managers who moved from assistant into management and really done well. Because some managers do that; they don't. You know, some assistants make that step up and they can't really bridge the gap. He was brilliant, and he dedicated his coach, and Eddie was brilliant, but uh, David was great with the boys. He was all about giving the boys confidence, and he had no fear, and so the young boys are. And he actually, he knew, he knew he had a good group of players. There was good players there. But he was, he, was so, he was a lot more approachable. You know, he used to take all those earth games and stuff like that. And in fact, it wasn't. It was Eddie, but David was always there watching. But uh, he, he would talk to you all the time, ask you how you are, how's the family, certainly. And okay, you know, he was very approachable that way, and it was good. You know, so then they were two different. And then Eddie being the coach, Eddie was from Glasgow, you know, and, and 
was brilliant as well because he'd always a bit of a laugh about Rangers and Celtic and Eddie was one of the most talented coaches, players I've ever seen. You know, you could, as young boys in training, you couldn't get the ball off him. You know, he was that good a left foot and it was so... Three completely different characters, you know, from a coach and management perspective, you know, but uh, I learned a lot from George Graham in terms of how the team set up. You know, you, you learn a lot about where you need to be and the runs you should be making and, and basic, basic stuff. And it was just what relentless was. I think David O'Leary allowed the boys to play a wee bit more. Uh, and that probably came through, you know, the, the, maybe due to the players they had, but that's kind of one of the biggest differences I remember. In terms of, I mentioned I would come back to Jimmy Floyd. Um, when I spoke to David Robertson, he said one of the first memories he's got is Jimmy arriving at Leeds, getting a, a, just the flashiest of cars and getting getting done for speeding so many times within basically like his first week or two of arriving. What was it like as a character? Because obviously he's been on to have some career. Obviously he was, he was at Leeds, Atletico Madrid, Chelsea. What was it like? Was he, was he somebody that was dedicated to training and dedicated to his career? Or was it just that case of natural talent? No, Jimmy had to work hard. Jimmy worked really, really hard. He said training. He was a grafter. I mean, he used to strong Jimmy, but I mean, he really put his... He, he put a lot in it. I mean, he was, he was dedicated, you know, and I think it was kind of thing going maybe, you know, lived a bit of a life off the pitch, but he wasn't, he wasn't overly flamboyant. He was confident in his own ability. Uh, it took him a wee bit of time to find his, his feet. I think he, did, he scored early on, he scored a few goals early on, and he kind of lost, not lost his way, but formed it to be bit, and then he came back, but he wasn't, he wasn't, he was, didn't like confidence. He just, I think he bought some big flashy BMW, and it was, it was like, you know, give us the dearest one in the showroom type one, and uh, Jimmy, in terms of him dressing and all that, you know, he was always very sharp with suits and he did his, every week it was like a different Rolex he done as that kind of character. <laughs> but I, a really nice guy to speak to. Really, really nice, really friendly, but he, he worked hard and he, he was he was dedicated. He wanted to be a success because you know, there's not many people who make the step from Leeds to Atletico Madrid unless you're a good player. In fact, I think the year they went to Atletico Madrid, I was still staying at Leeds at the time. I was playing at Oxford, but... Uh, he finished, I'm, I'm sure I'm right, he finished top goal scorer for Athletic Madrid and he got relegated. Uh, I'm sure he finished yep. either top goal scorer at Athletic Madrid and maybe plus of 20 or so goals or it was in the Spanish league. But then he went to Chelsea for 15 million. But what, what a player. I mean, see the way he struck the ball and that, how power in him, these shots. It's absolutely incredible. During your time at Leeds, you had two loan spells. You had a loan spell back in Scotland with Hearts and... You also played for, for Barry, who sadly are, are no longer here as a club. What were those loan spells like, and what's it like going on loan as a player? It was hard. I mean, I think, I think at the time I went on loan to... I'm trying to remember what one I went to first. I don't know if it was Barry or Hart, I can't even remember. I think it was Hart I went to yeah, first. Yeah, was first. I was probably getting to a point where I wasn't really... I was on the, really on the fringes. I'd, maybe the first 18 months I was on the fringes, but... I was on the fringes, but more looking to make the step into the team. But after that, it was more of a, a sub wasn't really going to be used. And then I went out on loan. And I, to be honest, the heart of move was more in a hope that I could go up there and sign that and secure a deal. Uh, but it was one of these moves that was just a nightmare. It was just from start to end. I scored my debut, I think, against Dundee. Uh, we could beat 2-1 in our score uh, and, and seemed to do well. But it was just off the pitch, it was one thing after another. I mean, my, my son fell, uh, he fell in the hotel room and split his lip open and had to go to the hospital. I got a jacket and 
my wallet stolen, my wallet training one day. Uh, you know, it just seemed to be one thing after another, after another. And I just thought, and actually see going back to Leeds after it, I think they cut the loan spell short. I was, I think I was desperate to go here. I just thought, this is a nightmare. Um, I just, I didn't really enjoy it. You know, and the first couple of weeks were, but I just, if something could have gone wrong, it went wrong. That's what it felt like. You know, just nothing ever really went my way. So I was glad to get back to Leeds actually. And, uh, and I think I finished off the season. Or I was finishing the season off and, and I went to Bury near the end of, I think it was just before I the season before I left, but it was at the end of the season. Neil Warnock was the manager, and I didn't really know who he was, but think, looking at him now and what I know back then, he was brilliant. You know, they were fighting relegation, and some decent players, you know, the big boy Chris Lockett at the back, it played at Sheffield United, and a few other decent players, but they were, they were up against it, and uh, I went and played. I think I signed them with eight games to go, but I only managed to play five, I think, and I pulled, I pulled my hamstring against Stockport. Um, so I actually really enjoyed Buddy. I went, I, I loved it. I had a great bunch of boys, and I, I, I loved. It. But unfortunately, they, they got relegated, and I, I got injured at the end of the season. So that was a that was that was a bit sad. I scored against bizarrely. I scored against Oxford. That goal I scored put Oxford down. It got them relegated in the following season. I signed for you Oxford, sing. so it was a bit weird. In terms of when, after the loan spells. Going back to Leeds, was it was it clear in your mind that having had a taste of regular first team football out in loan that it was time to move on and, and seek a new challenge? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I knew myself. My days, my days, my days were up. So to speak at Leeds, I, I wasn't going to play. And David Away had been honest. He said, "Look, you know, to try and find yourself a team," and he was very honest with me. And I appreciated that. I really did because he knew he knew where they were. So it was all to try to find a team and, and just play regular football and get back playing. I just didn't want to sit on the bench and see my contract there. I just thought I had a year to go, but I just wanted to get away and get something sorted out. And uh, I think for Oxford, looking back on it, you know, it just wasn't the right move for me. It was went through five managers in 18 months. It was quite a volatile club in, uh, in terms of management and how, managers and how long they were lasting, which didn't help. And uh, so that, that, whole, that whole Oxford episode was not something that. I fondly remember, but I mean, there was a good bunch of boys and players and all that, but in terms of me playing well and all that, I never, never really, really enjoyed it. Uh, it was I always felt we were, we were always fighting battles, you know, it was like we were struggling against relegation, or there was new managers coming in, it was just constant. It was constant, there was always something going on. In terms of, from a player's point of view, Derek, I'm interested to ask, see, when you go to a club like Oxford, you've mentioned there, it's in a chaotic state, they're changing managers, which feels like every five minutes. How hard is that, not just physically as a player trying to get up to speed with what different managers want, but how tough is that mentally to take as well? Because, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know what it's like, but you hear players all the time talking about when a manager signs you and then that manager goes, it's hard to deal with. And never mind that happening three or four times to yourself. It must have been it must have been very difficult. It was. I mean, the manager that signed you was brilliant, Malcolm Shorten, big guy, because I played against him when I was a kid. Like, he played every night. He was a big old Yorkshire centre-half. He was a solid, massive guy. And he signed me, and, you know, he wanted me to be a striker, and he was brilliant. But we were on a really bad run, and I was, as well as he'd been a bad run at the start of the season, I was trying to look for a house and all that, and found a couple of houses, and I thought, right, we kind of know where we're all going to move to, and all that. And obviously, you've got kids, and you think about the kids and the wife and all that, and then he gets sacked. You know, we'd been on a, a really poor run at the start of the season and he, he lost his job and I, I said to my wife, the first thing I said is, right, we're not buying a house, we need to wait. I am not 
buying a house and stuff like that. I said, because I could be out the door in two months' time. Uh, and then I think after that, there was, uh, there was a couple of a couple of people stepped in. I think there was a, uh, what do you call him? Mickey Lewis. There was a, there was a boy, Mike Ford, who was a coach, but Mickey Lewis as well. Both of them had spells. So they were kind of coaches within the club. Uh, and they'd sort of, both of them had sort of spells and sort of managing coaching, so to speak. So you, know, you get this little uplift again if you're playing, if you're not playing, but you knew them, so it wasn't so bad. But then after a short period of time, I think maybe get, get into January or February, we were down here at the bottom of the league, and then they went. You know, I think they, I, I don't know if they went completely, I can't remember if they went completely or just back down to coach, but they brought in a guy called Dennis Smith, who I, I didn't know who he was, but he was, he was an older guy at the time, but he played been at West Brom and you know, kind of been around the block. Looking back at his sister, he knew what he was doing. He was a good coach. And you could see he was a good coach. He was a bit like your kind of Alex Smith type character, you know, he's mean stuff, been around the block, you know, didn't get too phased by things, you know, whether it was a good result or a bad result. You know, I think he was, he was probably more focused on actually seeing the team playing better. Uh, and actually, when he came in, really, really nice guy. And I was in and out of the team, but I actually got in a run. We got in a run towards the end of the season. We picked up some good results and I was, I was playing. Uh, kind of, you know, so as long as you're playing, you're relatively happy. But then at the end of the season, uh, I think he left. Somebody, either that was the start of next season, he left as well. So I think, oh, here they go again. So actually, for the first 12 months that I was down there, I never bought a house. I used to, I used to end up travelling down and staying over and coming back uh, because it was so uncertain. And that was probably the worst thing about it, the fact that I was doing, I'd done, I'd done 70,000 miles in the first year I was there, travelling that much, commuting that much. It was, it was a, it wasn't good for me physically and, and it didn't help my performances, but I didn't want to put, I didn't want to move down to Oxford and you get kicked out of the team and then you have to try and move your family again. See, when, see your time at Oxford because it was so turbulent for yourself. Do you start with all the travelling going on? Is that the first real time since you moved down south that you start to get homesick and, and want to return to Scotland? I did. I mean, it was, that was probably really bedded in. I mean, there was an incident that happened and the real trigger for us coming back up to Scotland was uh, after my first season at Oxford, uh, we'd went on holiday to Florida and we'd been there for five days. We'd been before, for enough, the people we'd been before had been there at Alma Hood and his, and his, uh, his wife had been there uh, when I'd signed for Leeds. We went to Florida for five days and we got robbed at gunpoint in a hotel. Jeez, oh. So... So it was one of these traumatic experiences, you know, that, uh, well, thankfully nothing happened and we survived, but we would get robbed in my hotel room at gunpoint. And, and we came back and that was it. For me, staying down south, that was it all over. Uh, I was trying to probably kid myself on and went back and try to get back to normal, but I was still travelling up and down from Leeds to Oxford to play games. And, and it got to a point one day... I'd played against Oldham on the Saturday and, and pulled my hamstring, just sort of tweaked my hamstring. So, no fact, I guess it was, I, I tweaked my hamstring. So, the guys, I think it was a midweek game, I think they were playing Millwall or something, and they, they got absolutely hammered. Uh, and I was, and I'd got a phone call late at night, I think it was a Tuesday or Wednesday night, and it was just, as you'll say, the manager wants everybody in in the morning. And at the time, the manager, actually, there was a, they brought in uh, Joe Kinnear, who had been at Wimbledon. Yep. And he, he was like a director of football, so he was kind of, he started, he, he'd been brought in by the, the owner, 
and there was a guy, Dave Kent, who worked with Tony Pillows for years, and there was a guy, and I think it was Alan McCleary, two guys that he'd been at Millwall. So there was this coaching team with Joe Kinnear at the top, and I, 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 and I just I spoke to Fizzle, I said, and one person, I just said, that's me, I'm not, I can't do this anymore, I'm not coming back. I, I just, you know, and he was like, what do you mean? I said, I'm not coming back, I can't do this anymore. But because of what had happened in the summer, they understood, you know, they kind of knew. And I spoke to Joe, I think I spoke to Joe Kinnear the next day, and just said, like, you know, I need to go home, you know, wives and ourselves, and because uh, of what had happened, and, 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 and because it was such a traumatic thing, they were, they were very good, not very understanding. And within a few days, I was driving up to Dundee to, to play a trial match, to play a bounce game for Dundee United. So it was, it was, at the time I sat, I said to my wife, I said, look, I'll go back up the road. I don't care who it is. I'll play for a team, a few hundred quid a week, as long as we get a, a roof over our heads and everybody will okay, that's all that matters. And I landed on my feet getting Dundee United. So I was very, very fortunate. You mentioned the fact you land on your feet, you come back up the road, you go to Dundee United, who are one of our traditional Big clubs, you could say outside the old firm, they're, they're one of the biggest clubs in Scotland. What was it like going to a club like Dundee United with the following they've got in Scotland, considering you'd been up here before, but you'd been at Morton in the Championship? Brilliant. You know, it was the, the first game we played uh, was against Rangers. I scored, I I scored my debut for Dundee United. They were one each, uh, and I scored my debut. And I'll tell you something that's quite funny. So I tweaked my hamstring about eight days before it. Yeah. And I'd played a bounce game. I think it was on the Thursday. They said, come up and come in and train with us. And they'd done a bounce game. And I don't know if it was just to see me as a player. And I ended up having to take about four or five ibuprofen tablets. Far more than I should have done. I thought, I cannot. You know, I had to get really warmed up because I could still feel it. But I managed to get through it. But it was on the AstroTurf training pitch. And, and then I agreed to sign, which was brilliant. So turning up, playing Dundee United in your first game against Rangers... Uh, and I scored, scored the goal that we get we, we draw one each. But Dundee United were bought in the league. But you realise the club, the history. You know, coaches there like Morris Malpass, Paul Hegarty, Jim McLean was still the chairman. Alex Smith was the manager. You know, you're thinking this club is full of history. And you look back and you see the pictures on the walls and you think, I remember Dundee United in the, in the 80s when they were playing European teams. You know, that, that was my what I remember. So yeah. I, I felt. I felt privileged, I felt honoured, but I felt as if I'd been released because I felt as if as soon as I signed for a Scottish club and I was back in Scotland, I just felt so much better about myself, you know, and I just, and, and that, my two and a half years at Dundee United were just incredible, loved every minute of it. You mentioned two big characters, your, your manager Alex Smith, old school, he's, he's out in Australia now, isn't he? And, and you mentioned Jim McLean, who was the chairman. What was your experiences like dealing with Jim? Because... I've spoken to a few ex-players and everybody's got a good Jim McLean story or two. Well, I was, I was probably... Didn't see Jim McLean about that much when I was there because there was an incident that had happened just before I'd signed where he punched the cameraman. <laughs> <laughs> so so he, he'd actually, he's actually sort of... He was in the background more than... And there was a few other directors that were running the club. But you could sometimes see him at lunchtime, but uh, I, I was... I never really had a lot of dealings with him. He would... He would sometimes say things, you know, he would maybe like a Monday or something like that and, you know, he would come into the, the we would have a lunch and he'd say things about like somebody's had a bad game on Saturday and, and he'd say, oh, so he'd say something like, you can't play out there, you're a central midfielder, what are you doing out there? No, he'd just sort of say these things, you know, but he was, 
he was a real kind of, it was like the man, the myth, the legend, that's what it felt like, you know, he kind of just this aura about him, but he was, he, he kind of lost the plot a wee bit, you know, based on obviously what had happened, but he was, uh, you just heard the name Jim McLean, I think it put the fear of death on the people, you know. In terms of Alex Smith as a manager, again, someone who's a character in Scottish football, quite old school reputation. What was it like playing under him after going through that spell at Oxford where you had four or five managers in a short succession? Was it good to for that couple of years spell at Dundee United to have the one voice and somebody that clearly believed in you? That was that was really, really good. I mean, Alex, it, was, it, was what, it felt like everybody's kind of... It was a father figure to think everybody... And, just before that signed for Dundee United, Dundee United at the time had the, uh, I think, it was, I don't know how exactly, I can't remember exactly who was the manager, but obviously Jim McLean was there and there was a real kind of turnover and then Alec had been brought in, but they had loads and loads of South American players and I think half of them weren't, just weren't good enough. And I think there was about five or six of them got shipped out. So what, it, what when, when Alex Smith had come in, he'd signed Jamie Fulton, he'd signed Jim Lachlan, from Kilmarnock, he'd signed Charlie Miller, he'd signed myself. He signed about five, four or five, maybe six Scottish boys that he knew of the boys he could get and uh, and he knew and he put the team together and you know, we ended up staying up but he was brilliant, you know, he brought in I think he just he wanted to I don't know if he'd, he'd deliberately done it just to think I want to bring a bit of Scottishness back in to the rest of whatever it may be, boys that he could rely on, boys that were all hungry to do well because we all had something to prove and you know, and for me getting back up from England, probably, you know, he didn't realise maybe how much it, it it made a difference to me in terms of how I felt and how you know how happy I was. But you know, that, I mean, I scored seven goals, I think, at the end of that that season, and, and we stayed up. It was a between us and St. Bernard, and you know, we glad to hear also St. Bernard get relegated that year. <laughs> 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 uh, but I, I, I mean, that was the thing. We all knew we were bottom the league, and it was backed against the wall. But he signed all these fresh players, and we thought we went out and. You know, we, we took on anybody, we didn't care who it was we were playing with, but it was that kind of togetherness. And, and we all kind of knew, I remember playing with Charlie when I was like, when he was about 15, I was about 17, and, you know, Jack, I didn't know Jim Lawson, but we ended up, we travelled up and down the road together, and I remember playing with Jamie when he was at St. Mum, so there's a lot of boys that we knew, and, and, and we all just used to click, uh, which, was, which was brilliant, and it was a, just a great time with Alec there, and everybody just wanted to do well for Alec. And, uh, aye, that's been up. We played the second last game of the season against St Johnson at Perth, and Dundee United fans were in three stands or everywhere. It was just the place was even, and and we were getting beat to now at half time. And I can always remember with Alec standing looking at his Charlie, saying, "Charlie, come on, son, give us something." He missed a penalty in the first half, Charlie, and, and obviously Charlie was just kind of enigma. You know what? Phenomenal, phenomenal player. And they uh, went back out, and Charlie had scored the, I think he scored the first goal. I think 2 1, Craig Easton scored, and I scored the winner. So it was just, it was just great. Great bunch of boys. The manager was fantastic. The coach, and with Morris Malpass and Paul Hegarty, you know, it was just, we were all in it together, back against the walls, and it was just that sort of six months finished in the season, just a massive adventure. And it was, you know, and I don't think we ever doubted we were we never at any point thought we were going to get relegated. I think we all believed we were going to stay up and that was we did. You mentioned the fact you did stay up and it was your time at Dundee United was, as you mentioned, a kind of tough spell for the club in many ways. It was transitional and a couple of 11th place finishes, the 8th place finish as well. And 
Then you, you end up moving on to Livingston. How did that move come about and, and why Livingston? Obviously, we'll talk about when you went there and you ended up producing one of the most memorable moments in the last 20 years in the cup final. But but just sum up your time at United and, and why Livingston was, was the club you moved to at that time. I think when Alec had been there, Alec was a manager for about two years there, and you know we went on a bit of a bad run. Uh, probably had been my third season, sort of second full season, but uh, third season football wise. And Alec had lost his job, and Paul Hegarty stepped in, and this, I'd scored seven goals the first six months I came back. Then the next full season, I think I only scored that, I don't know five or six goals. Didn't really do that well, uh, and then so kind of in my third season. I'm, Alec lost his job and well, we've all got it, you know, we really, you know, such a nice guy. Paul Hegarty stepped in and he'd taken over and and, and Paul would, Hegarty, I would go on really well with Paul and he, he just liked me because of my energy and my style, the way I played the game. And he said to me, son, if I get the job, I'm going to give you a three-year contract. So I was, I was buzzing. I was thinking, brilliant, and I couldn't, couldn't do enough for him. And actually, we were struggling down near the bottom of the league and and we won some games, and, and, and I can always remember Eddie Thompson, with a new owner, it, it came in and was throwing a wee bit of money about. But the thing is, I think they were all thinking Heggy was going to fail, but we actually, actually were doing well. And I can always remember we went on, we beat Kilmarnock down there and went on the bus. And even Paul Heggarty says to the directors, you, you can't smile, we didn't win today. I think they were gutted that they kind of wanted them to fail, which was quite heartbreaking to see, you know what I mean? It was horrible. Uh, and then Heggy and Heggy and Moe, they, they lost their jobs and Ian McCall stepped in in a wee bit of a relegation battle you know we played out of it and by the way I've got to say Ian McCall fantastic coach and manager really you know, in terms of his coaching his training but in terms of his one to one at that time as a person I didn't really like him you know to be honest with you I didn't really you know he was he was a bit too fully filled you know he was the next big thing and He's been paid a lot of money and, you know, he, he liked the sound of his own voice, but his training was brilliant, you know, and, you know, he was a bit of a sort of, too much, he was a hothead uh, in terms of, you know, proper, like, throwing, you know, proper old school in terms of, like, kicking things over and all that, and you're a bit like, come on, you know, we're past all that now, you know, it's a bit like that, but I'd, I'd done okay under him, and he, and it says to me, you know, he kind of said to me, I don't know what to do. I, I don't think I'm going to keep you on. I don't, he was kind of, I think he really was caught in a bit of, do I keep him, do I let him go? What do I do? And he said, he's letting me go. And I said, that's fine. But I played right up to the end of the season. I, said, I, played, I played my last game for Dundee United at, uh, at Fun Hill, which was quite ironic when I played my first game for Watermill. And I can remember coming off and massive lump in my throat and the fans were like brilliant singing and all that. And, uh, and it was quite emotional and it was so tricky to leave. And then, uh, and the story, the story to get to uh, Papi Thistle was, uh, sorry, to Livingston was quite unusual because I had nothing, I had nothing lined up. I was thinking about joining the police. I was, as a backup, I'm thinking, right, if I don't get anything here, I'm going to join the police. She's old. And because uh, you just thought it was, you know, money was changing, clubs were changing, mm. and I was, I was, what, 30, 30, 31 or something like 30, 31. You know, and you think, actually, you know, how long are you going to last? I don't know. And, and then Patrick Thistle came in for me, and it was Jerry McCabe. Uh, and he says, look, we're going to be 500 quid a week and 500 pound appearance money. You know, and I thought, oh dear, I've got to take it. You know, I said, no, no other option. I says, and, and I kind of, I can't remember exactly how it panned out, but I, I, 
I gave things there, but I'd never met Jenny McKay, but it was all done through an agent at the time. I'd never actually met them, but, you know, but that was looking like my only option. But then, out of the blue, Livingston came in, literally offered me the same amount of money, but I was getting more of a basic wage uh, and less of an appearance money or something like that. So that's why I went to Livingston, because I was getting a better, a better basic wage, because I thought, that's fundamentally what I'm going to live on is my basic wage. And that was, again, it was like, you know, there was quite a myself, Jamie McAllister signed, Roddy McKenzie signed. There were quite a few Scottish boys as well as all the foreign players there. And when, and you end up falling into Livingston and I had my best ever season in the Premier League, which was quite ironic, you know. So it was, you know, winning a cup final, I scored 18 goals that season. It was just my best, probably my best ever season. You mentioned that best ever season and... Before we get to that season, I want to ask you about a couple of the characters. Firstly being Davy Hay, legend of football, done it all in the game, obviously with Celtic and, and a few others. What was he like as a manager? Davy was brilliant. Davy stepped in. They could see initially when I'd signed, there was a, I don't know if you remember us or not, Jim Leishman was there, but they'd signed this guy, Maximo. It was the Brazilian, Brazilian guy, wasn't coach. it? Uh, he says he coached Ronaldo. He was, he was what, he, I, think he, I think he carried he's got a water carrier or something. He met Dominic Keane, talked to his went to a job, and God knows, he came over here and he was just he was terrible. He kept calling me Alan. I had no chance, he kept calling me Alan. It was, just, it was hysterical. And, uh, and, I, and, I've, and I've played on him, he was playing a lot of the foreign boys, and, and I was, I was well, you know, busting to get in the team. And, I scored against Mullerwell in my first goal. I don't think any strikers had scored at the start of the season. I was very few. And I scored a header against Mullerwell. Uh, and then I scored against Celtic at Parkhead. And they could beat 5-1 and I came on and I scored. And Alan Preston, you know, they're going to have to play him. They're going to have to play him soon. You know, because I was the one that scored the goals. And, uh, but then he left and Davey, Davey had been there as a sort of director of football. And I think Davey was a bit, he wasn't happy with what was going on. The first game of the season they played, ironically, the first game of the season Livingston played Patrick Thistle at Fir Hill, and I was in the stand watching the game, and they were terrible. They were absolutely terrible. And apparently, David Hay came down at half time and sorted things out, so to speak, in terms of right of. But that didn't get down well when you imagine, you could imagine. So, when that guy Maximo left, David just stepped in it, and they just completely just put in the players that he wanted. You know, three five two. This is my team, and then we never looked back. And Davy was a uh, Davy didn't say much. You know, there was Billy Kirkwood, Alan Preston, some Kelly coaches. In fact, even Paul Hegarty came in there as well uh, when I was there. And uh, great coaches, great enthusiasm. A lot of the Scottish boys. We knew the foreign boys were on big money. That was fine. But myself, Jamie, Roddy, Davy McNamee, Bob O'Brien guys. Like that, we were all just just a great time. Just absolutely loved it. And, and I'd scored a few goals, and my confidence was really, really high. You know, just it was a season I just, you just felt invincible. Two two big characters as players, and they're they're very different. But I want to ask you about them because again, they're, they're guys that people talk about across all levels. First of all, Marvin Andrews, the man who is really just the man, the myth, the legend in many ways. There's so many stories about him and and his character because he's so into his faith and and all that sort of thing, which is is remarkable and good on him. What's Big Marvin like to play with and to share a changing room with? Oh, brilliant. You know, you couldn't be a more positive guy. You know, Marvin's always laughing, joking. You know, we never ever seen Marvin look sad. You know what I mean? Never seen him. He just believed in his 
themselves. You see, they have these beliefs, these religious beliefs, and everybody respects that. Nobody, you know, nobody even mentioned it. But just you know, that was Marvin. That's what it was all about. And he was such a nice, positive guy. And, it was, and everybody loved him. Could not like him. You know, he would, he would, he would clatter into him training, and, and and then he would pick you up and kind of apologise and then do it again. And you think, okay, oh, sure, Marvin. There was, you know, and they were just laughing and up with a problem. And it was just, it was just, it was kind of the life and so it was a huge. Energy, but I tell you what, a player he was as well. I mean, you know, maybe he wasn't the most technically gifted player in the world, but my God, in terms of defending the goal, he was just phenomenal. I mean, he would, he would literally stick his head in with a thumb pill when they stick their foot in. Definitely. And another one I want to ask you about Scott McLaughlin. Obviously, I know he played with Morton as well, but just that he, he's a madman, he's an enigma. What was he like to play alongside? Oh, he's, he's got. Well, he was a young, he was quite a young player at, at Livingston, so uh, it, it's quite funny because uh, I remember more uh, about Scott. Uh, I've been back to Morton, obviously, and I think Scott was there as well. So yep. I've seen more of him, I think, at Livingston when he was young. For all of his daft, I've never seen a lot of it, but I, I, I've known him over the years as well. But he was he's as daft as a brush. Good, good player, Scott. Actually, I mean, totally too fucked. Very underrated player because he, he was in uh, he was in the cup final. He was in the bench at the cup final. Yeah. So Scott kind of came in and out of the team as a young player, and Scott, he was, he was another one, he would throw himself into challenges, and he would say, Scott, what are you doing? You know, he's never going to win the ball, but he was just like, totally committed. And then probably that air moves a bit of a nutcase, as a brush. But uh, I've known Scott for years, and uh, he's a good boy, he's a really, really good guy, and I just, again, another one that was in that dressing room, it just made it such a good dressing in terms of strike partnerships, you played alongside David Fernandez for a wee while. What was he like to play with? I know obviously he had his time at Celtic and things, but he was a player who who impressed me growing up. Um, so so he did just in terms of when he was at Livingston. I'd, I mean, I had my best season under David. I mean, David was me and, me and David were probably couldn't get more opposites in terms of our style of play, and it's that classic, you know, two totally different players. Uh, such a talented player. You know, David would come out, come out and train in the morning. It looks like he just fell out of bed. You know what I mean? <laughs> didn't really care about things, you know, but what the talent he had in that left, it was incredible. And I, I'm, I'm lucky to play with him, you know, to have that season I did with him was great. Because uh, when David got on the ball, he would attract two and three players to him all the time. You know, players, teams would be kicking him. And, you know, David, again, he was very laid back. He never reacted to stuff. He was, and I think he felt at home at Livingston because he went to felt it and it never really worked for him. But he felt at home. And so when he came back there, I think he just enjoyed it because I don't know if it was felt it. I mean, at those clubs at that level, the pressure's intense. But when David came to Livingston, just, it, was, it was sensational. And, you know, to play a full season when was just was brilliant. But you couldn't get a nicer guy, a lovely family, off the pitch and all that, real funny. A bit like Marvin, to some extent, you know, really kind of funny guy. Albeit they're Spanish, you know, a lot of the Spanish boys, even like Oscar and Manu, Dorado and Oscar yeah. Rubio, you know, boy, good sense of humour, you know, they kind of understood the Scottish culture and the Scottish game, and they, and they really had a laugh for them, you know, we believe and Stuart Lovell, the boys that I'd known for years as well, and, and it was just a great mix of young players, older players, players from all different parts of the world, you know what I mean, it was different, and, and it really was a complete melting pot, but we got on well together and we just did a good laugh, and you know, some good jokes, and uh, I think that was a, a big thing about it. And David was always in the middle of it. You know, if we were running around the track to warm up, or running around the edge of the pitches, kind of the old school warm up, David would be running around the centre circle, kicking a ball about, you know, and, and everybody just kind of let him go on it. 
it's funny enough when you mentioned earlier on about when you went to Leeds, it was like a Panini album. And talking about that Livingston team and that kind of era, Scottish football is like a Panini album for me in the sense that I'm 24 and, and growing up, that was a big part. I, I remember getting the books and you mentioned Dorado and Marvin Andrews, Mako, yourself. I remember that era and getting the stickers and completing the books. So talking about that team actually gives me fond memories, even though I'm not a Livingston fan. And we have to obviously talk about the League Cup run and and, and obviously winning the final, which is the, the greatest day in the history of the club. What was the run like to the final? I think I mean, it was a really the first game we played. Uh, I, the, I, there was a lot of irony in this. The first game we played was against Queens Park at Hamden, and I think it was Alan Preston or Billy Cutler who uh, said something along the lines of, "You know, let's get back here again for the final, or you know, let's let's play here again." Uh, and and I was on the bench. I never played because it was the start of the season. But you know, obviously, as things changed, we went and uh, I think we beat. Did we beat? I'm not sure. We beat Aberdeen. The thing I remember, I think this, this, this quarterfinals we beat Aberdeen. Uh, I think we beat. I think we beat. I'm, try, I'm trying to remember. I think we beat Dundee 91-0 up there. Stuart Lovell scored the goal. The referee was Willie Young, and Willie Young made a bit of a howler during the game. I can't remember what it was. I don't know if it was to do with the goal, but he kind of beat himself. But good referee. We got. We sat on a tough game. We beat them one 0 uh, Stuart Lovell did score many goals at the time, so that was a real kind of one for the, the, the kind of album, so to speak. <laughs> Went up to Petaudry and we beat Aberdeen. I think it was 3 1. I scored, I definitely know I scored one of them. I think we make maybe Buckner had scored, but I scored one of the goals. Uh, so, you know, at that time, league wise, we're doing, we're doing okay as well. We're, we're winning quite a lot of games. And then we got to semi finals, but then the club went into administration, which was the big thing. So, just before we played the semi finals, it got announced we were going into administration. So, it was like, Oh my God! What's you know? I think it was actually it might have even been the morning of the Dundee game. We found out we we're going into administration, and uh, that that was just like, surreal. You know, we never really kind of probably heard a few rumours. Never really knew what was going on, and, and then all of a sudden, bang! Yeah, we're going into administration, and we didn't know what was going to happen. So we played Dundee. It was at Easter Road. We played Dundee in the semi-final, and. Uh, Dundee crowd, I mean, it wasn't the two biggest teams, obviously. I don't know, like, the crowd wasn't massive, about like 10,000 or something, but it was a decent crowd. More Dundee fans. But I scored the penalty, and I, I always thought the penalty I scored was about 60 or 70 minutes in the game. It was about the 91st minute or something, right at the end of the game. I didn't realise it was so late, but I never thought anything of it. Good, good. I took a good penalty. I kind of flipped back to put it in the top corner, right down the audience and fans, but we came after it, and it was a real anti climax because. We'd won the game, we were so happy, but we didn't know what was going to happen. And uh, we're fearful that, you know, who, who knows? And there was a couple of Spanish boys, that, there was a boy, uh, a boy Kino, who's midfield, a really good player, he got let go, and there was, a, there was another few other ones. Uh, and a bit gutting, you know, some of the young boys, wee boy Richard Britton, actually now, he's a coach at Ross Town, I think we actually, he was in tears. You know, young boy doesn't know what's going to happen, and I was, uh, I, I just kind of run. I don't know, I can't even remember what I thought. You were worried about it, but you were playing. They were going to trim the squad. They actually didn't have a massive squad, so they couldn't really cut it that much. So they cut, they cut what they could. And I mean, uh, David Fernandez, to be fair, I didn't know this half the time. He paid for a player's wages. Jeez, oh, I didn't that's realize amazing. that. You know, he, he's actually paid uh, 
one of the as a Fernando Pasquinelli, as a boy from Argentina, and David had paid his wages to keep him on till the end of the mm-hmm. season. Uh, so that just shows you, you know, what David was like as a person. And uh, yeah, it was that was a horrible, horrible experience. You know, there was a couple of boys got let go, and you, you do it, and even David Hay was, was gutted for him, you know, because it wasn't as if they were cutting away twenty players; it was only a handful. And David also had to make a decision on his squad about mm-hmm. who's playing, what they are, and blah blah blah. And horrible, horrible things. And even to backroom staff, it wasn't a big club. I don't even think that many staff lost lost their jobs, thankfully. But we actually, because we'd had some cup runs and we'd, we'd, we'd played, we done. I think we'd done okay in the Scottish Cup as well. Quite a few games in the television, so we're generating. I think money-wise, well, actually, the club was doing okay in terms of bringing cash in. Uh, but then, obviously, got to the final and the administration thing went on. And the irony was the final, Hibs had beaten Rangers and Celtic on the way to the final. So that was a young team of Scott Brown, uh, Thompson, uh, Ryardon was in it, and the, the big boy, I think the corner was there, the big boy Murdoch at back with the Irish boy. And, Colgan was a goal did a good team really and that was all the good you know, young players Stephen Whitaker he might have been here as well really really good young players but we never ever thought we were going to lose we, never, we didn't fear that we'd already beaten them in the league I think we might have beaten them twice we didn't fear them at all so but I'd never played in a final before and it's the only time in my life I, had, I think I probably slept for about four hours I couldn't sleep I was that nervous you know, it was just, and I felt when I turned up at the game, I was physically exhausted. I was just so nervous. You know, the nerves had sort of bumped up all my nerves. And, uh, and there was another story as well, that Lee Hickel, his father-in-law had passed away the night before the final. And he played in the final. He, he, he went back home to Edinburgh, called away. Uh, and when we got out for breakfast in the morning, Stuart Lovell was in he with him. He said, what makes it hard to go away? His father-in-law's passed away. And then next thing you know, we're in a dressing room for the game, and who walks in? You make it, and you're just like, wow. You know, and nobody really, obviously, appreciated him, and it was just like, right, let's get, nobody really, I don't really remember anybody, obviously, knew that it was very difficult, but it was just, he was there, we were all determined to do it, and we walked out, and the first 45 minutes to the field, we, we didn't play that well. We kind of held ourselves in the game. And then two quick fire goals at the start of the second half, and, you know, I remember sitting at half-time feeling like physically exhausted, you know, just so drained and no energy. And then I got, I got, kind of got a lease of life and then I scored the first goal and then Jamie McAllister scored about, what, three or four minutes later. And we were about 75 minutes into the game and a big Irish defender called Murdoch said, and he says, we're not going to score. You know, you just get game by, you think, we can be here all night and you just aren't going to score. And, and sure enough, and see when the whistle... As much as you're, you're, you're happy and you hear, you're excited, see the relief by actually by just you know hearing that final whistle. There's probably more of, you're, you're more relieved than happy because you're just you're so glad that you've done it. You've given so much into it, and but it was brilliant. You know, you I mean I've got the medal up the stairs, and it's, you, know, you look at it for me. You know, you think how many, you know, I was 31. You know, was ever going to play in a national final? Probably no, not not that not that New York, so to speak. And uh, it was just it was just amazing just to, to get the hand on that trophy. Do you not even just play in a national final, though, Derek? Don't do yourself a disservice to to play a big part and actually score in the final as well. Is that obviously it's a daft question because I'm sure it is by far the proudest moment of your career. I think so. I definitely. I mean, you can understand a few. 
you know, certain goals that have been big for me. I mean, scoring a winner for Dundee United against St. John's and keep them up and it was a massive, massive goal, you know. Uh, even having all the scoring all the goals at Morton as a young player was, was brilliant. And, uh, but getting getting a winner in a cup final, it doesn't get much better than that, you know, to actually to, 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 to put, score that goal and then pick up the trophy and look at back and all the photos and all that. And it was just, you know, the whole family there, you know, just, it was just amazing. So uh, there's no doubt that it's got to be the, the highlight of my career. See, when you lift a trophy like that, I ask this question to a few people, and it's a daft question, but is it heavy? It wasn't always that heavy, because the thing is, you only lift the top it, the weight is at the big bottom bit that nobody picks up. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So the, the weight the weight's at the base, but the actual trophy itself is relatively, you know, probably not as heavy as what you think, but it's, there's a bit of weight in it, so to speak, you know, it's, uh, but it's the big base thing, it's, that's where all the weight was in it, so, but it's just, it's, I mean, it was weird. In upper hand, and because Hibs had 38,000, 39,000 fans, they felt two thirds of the stadium. Livingston had about 8,000 fans, so we were lifting the trophy to a section of the stadium, which was quite odd, but it felt brilliant. But, you know, Hibs had such a big support, but to just stand up the stairs at Hamden and pick a trophy up, just it was like, wow. In terms of the celebrations, considering it was a, a tough spell with certain boys having to get let go, Fernandez covering a wage you mentioned there, were the celebrations a really so the celebration win in any cup would be exceptional and amazing anyway, but considering it was a tough situation, was it just a complete blowout, if you will, because the boys had been working so hard in, in exceptionally hard circumstances as well? Uh, I, th- I think it was, and then we got the bus back to uh, Livingston, Almondale, and Stadium, and then we done a bit, an open top bus tour, which was quite nice. To, and then I just remember, I think I had drinks and all that after it, but. Uh, you know, everybody was so tired. You know, you were just fuzzy because just what, what the day takes out of you. And don't get me wrong, everybody's happy by having a good time. But uh, I, I wasn't as I, I honestly, I never went home if I was falling about. But I'd had a few drinks, but I was just so tired. Because um, at that time, we we actually we we to play. I think we to play Aberdeen the Tuesday or Wednesday. We had a game on the Tuesday or Wednesday, and we played that game on the Sunday. We had a game right away, so it was like. You know, you, you took in as much as you could, but it was, it was so full on, and it was just so much gets put into day and your emotions are just at the end of it. You're just, I felt I'm just exhausted. In terms of Livingston overall, Derek, you win that cup. You mentioned the fact you had a really good season in the league. You had one of your best ever seasons in your career alongside David Fernandez, as we discussed. The fans nicknamed you the Goal Machine. How do you reflect on your time at the club overall? Brilliant, I mean, it was great. I mean, to have, it's always, you know, I've been to some clubs and you don't really hit it off and things don't go that well, but when you go to a club and, you know, you do well and the fans appreciate you and, and you know, and they can see what you're all about as a player, you know. Everybody I'd like to think over the years, I've owned my heart, my sleeve, I just gave everything, you know, I was, I was never the most talented player in the world, but they always knew they were going to get 100% and I was totally committed. Didn't matter what team I played for, that's what you got. And, the, the, the fans were brilliant. I mean, to score all those goals and even get back, get back now, you know, down and played in the uh, uh, Keegan Jacobs testimony, you know, and got the fans and you know, the, the, the reaction you get when they see you is just great. You know, I mean, such a warm feeling to get back there. I've got, I've got nothing but good memories about it. It was such a good time for you and the club, as you mentioned, winning the National Trophy, doing well in the league. You returned to Morton and it was an interesting return because... It was actually a season, one of the early seasons where I had sort of my first season ticket, me and my dad, and I remember my dad telling me a lot of the time that, oh, we're getting Lily back, and 
obviously I was born in 95 and he was he was here just as a time you were born and he went on to play with Leeds and I remember at the time thinking wow I can't believe a player of this stature's coming back and 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 for seeing you at Morton for myself I know you were a lot older at the time but it was something that is a fond memory I have of that era and what was it like with returning to Morton because I asked this to Alan Mahood as well I know his was, he's been back a couple of times see when you leave the first time are you nervous about getting back the second time because your memories were so good or because it was a fond place in your heart? Are you are you just desperate to get back and, and try and do it all over again? I, I was desperate to get back. You know me, I think I'd, I went down and spoke to Douglas Ray face-to-face and I, I negotiated my own deal with him. And, uh, you know, and the fact that he was interested in it, you know, and I, I knew, obviously, Douglas Steve was a director when I was there before and... Uh, he was so passionate about the club and, you know, Jim McIntyre was a manager and a good young boy. And I always, you know, just wanted to go down and do well because I'd left for good memories and I was determined to, to do well and go down and, and score goals. And that, for that season, we just missed out in promotion, unfortunately. That was off. Uh, obviously, I was in Gretna battling out for the season, but we just probably ran out of steam towards the end of the season. But uh, I think I scored about 18 or 19 goals yep. at that first season I came back. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I loved every minute of it. Uh, and with a lot of good young players and again I think with having young players you get those inconsistencies with Gretna a lot more experienced players and they could see games out and I think that was probably one of the main differences but I had no hesitation to get back when I got the opportunity to do it it was, it was, for me, it was an easy decision you know, to get back there and it kind of feels as if you've never been away you turn up you're a bit older a bit slower but it feels as if you've never been away In terms of the second season you're at the club the club won the second division. You're playing alongside Chris Miller. Paul McGowan uh, comes in loan. It's the season with the with the stripes rather than the the when the than the hoops. So that's again another thing that's memorable in its own right. What was that season like? And ultimately winning another title in your career, and and and, for, and another title with Morton. Well, it was kind of mixed emotions for me because I left. I left halfway through the season, so I wasn't really playing. Uh, I don't know if it was political. Jim McInerney was a manager. The big boy Temple was up front and uh, I don't know if Andy was still there, Andy McLaren was still there, I can't really remember, but I wasn't really playing and you know, I was 32 or something you think and you don't, you're getting dropped and you're thinking, oh here we go, you know, you can see the right and you think this has happened again, you know, so here we go and and I, and I sat down with the chairman and the chairman said, look, you know, what do you want to do? You can go to, you can go to some, uh, find yourself a team uh, you can stay here. I'd be quite happy to keep you here and you can stay. You know, obviously I understand if you're not playing, you can leave. And, and it turns out I, I get a chance to go to St. Johnson and play. And I, I, I just felt as if I didn't want to stay at Morton if I wasn't playing. I just felt as if I didn't want to be down there taking a wage. Cause I, was on, I was on a good wage at Morton, considering, you know, I brought me back and I knew the chairman had pushed the boat out. And I thought, I can't do that. I can't do that at the club. I can't do that at the chairman. And I just agreed a package to leave. I didn't want to just be sitting there taking a taking a wage and not contributing. I just I felt the short change in the club and that and I just didn't seem right. So and I wanted to play and and I left. So it was quite a mixed emotions. You know, winning they won the league and I, I was there for half a season. So I never really felt part of it. Cause I just got my medal the following season or something. I can't remember how I got my medal, but how I got it. So it was that was a wee bit of a mixed emotion. But uh, I felt it just wasn't it wasn't right for me to stay. Yeah, you know, and, and do that. It was, it was, it was, you know, St. John's were in the league above, actually, and they were fine to get promoted. So it was actually, you know, it was going to a good side as well. And so the things might get never quite panned out. 
Well, that's the thing. I think it's admirable the fact that you you admitted the fact that you were on good money and you, and you chose to leave for not just the benefit yourself, but also the benefit of the club. Because you talked, we talked about Thomas Brolin earlier, and he was basically sticking around for money. And having you experienced that, making the decision to, to move on and play, I think is admirable. Because you see in the, the, the game now, especially with some of the top clubs in England, the amount of players that are just sitting on benches playing five or ten games a season and pocketing a lot of money, it's frustrating to see because surely the aim of any footballer is to play for as long as you can. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think I think the game the game's changed massively now in terms of squads and all that and the money they're making. You've got average players earning 30, 40, 50 grand a week. You know, in the Premier League, it really is that bad. And, uh, but back then, I just wanted to play football. And, you know, I just the thought of sitting on a bench every week, you know, it's like, you know, it's, you could, you could you imagine walking, you're, you're a school teacher, could you imagine walking walk into a place of work every week and, you, and somebody said to your headmaster, say, you're not going to teach today, Cam, just, just sit in that office. You, be, you know, do that for a few weeks, you're pulling your head out. Uh, no, absolutely. You know, you think, why am I doing You know, and that's kind of what it's like, you know, you train all week to play a game, you know, you build it and then there's nothing. There's nothing at the end of the week and, you need to play, you know, it's like a drug, you need to play, you need that excitement, you know, that to kind of, uh, you need to know you're involved, and if you're not involved, it's just for me, it's like, I need, I need to do it, I need to change, because if I'm not involved, I need to change to get, my, get myself into a situation where I'm involved, so, uh, that's always been my mentality. A lot of foreign players are slightly different in how they think, and that's one thing I've seen down south, a lot of them will just sit tight, they've got a, a different mentality. That way, I want to, you know, I think, but I think that's changed over the years as well because there's so much money. A lot of players sign four and five year deals, and, you know, they're on so much money. I'm thinking, I don't, they know if they move, they won't get the money elsewhere, so they do sit tight. In terms of your career post Morton, obviously, you had the spell at St Johnston, you, and then you have spells with. Wait, obviously, Stirling and Forfar. See, obviously, St Johnston was a step up in terms of the division, but see, in terms of when you go to Stirling and then Forfar, is it. No disrespect to those clubs, but is it more difficult for somebody like yourself, having played at the highest level possible, to begin down to sort of part time in Scotland? I, I found it really difficult. Calm, I did. I mean, I'd started a part time, but I mean, when I went part time, looking back and it, you know, got to take a half to guys that done it their whole careers. I mean, for me, I wasn't. I didn't feel fit. You know, I was used to training every day. I'd started working. You know, I just I felt lethargic. I was I was doing my best. My legs were going. I was thirty three. I knew I could run any more as quickly as I could. Uh, and and I, and I gave it my best shot. But you know, the last two years of my playing career was me trying to set myself up for a new career. You know, because if, all, if I'm being brutally honest, it was all about getting a wage and you know and keeping the money coming in. And you know, I got a job and stuff like that. So the last two years were I kind of thought to myself, right, if I get a club, go part time, get a job get two wages and it keeps me going and, that, and that's kind of where you know I got the offer to go to Ross County under Dick Campbell but you know but I couldn't really move my family my kids were settled in school and I didn't need to move up to Inverness and that would have kept me full time football but you know the money I was getting offered and having to move my family it just wasn't worth it so I thought what do I do and that, I got a job and, 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 and got part time and that kept me going for a couple of years and and I, I didn't really enjoy it. I mean, the last few years of my career, I, I, when I got to the end of the I'd had enough. I just thought, I've done this for 18 years. I was bumped out. You know, I just kind of, my appetite had gone. I, I just had enough. You mentioned 
that earlier on in this interview you were considering joining the police at one point. See, when it comes to, to retiring from football and you know yourself, you mentioned there, you're not enjoying it as much, you know your career's over, it's time to move on. How 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 hard is it to then consider alternative careers? Because football's been your whole life. It's so difficult. I mean, I, I'd left school and been a welder, but I, mean, I was never ever going to get back to that. I'd been away for, it for 13, 14 years. And, you know, I, I didn't really know what to do. I'd went to a careers day at Hamden. And it was Warren. Warren Hawk was involved in it. And I'd, put, I'd got CDs drafted up and different skills and all that kind of stuff. And it was all new to me. And I landed a job in a bank. And I think as well, they were... They were looking at somebody, you know, who's quite mature and, you know, a confident person and all that. But I mean, I really like, like an admin job in a bank and, and it was in a corporate bank, it was just in a big office. And I can remember somebody sitting there thinking, what am I doing here? You know what? But, you, but you've also got this other thing as well that you need to deal with. It. People say, why are, you, why are you working? You think, well, I'm still here and I'm not a millionaire, I'm still here work. People think you're loading. You know, it's like, no, that's not the way it works. You know, not everybody becomes a millionaire in football. A lot of people might have a good life, but they're not loaded, you know. We need to get, we need to still need to carry on. So that is a mental thing people need to try and go over. It's not only you're nervous as a person in these environments, but they're seeing a football player, a potential have watched them, and, and now he's working this different. Like, how's that? You know, they'll come up and start conversations with you and you're having to kind of repeat yourself and that's difficult, you know, to to use starting a new career, you know, having to deal with all this stuff and people don't think about that, but you're dealing with you know, constant you know, and, and people always you know, people always laugh because see if you play football, everybody's quite happy to pop a joke at you. <laughs> you know, and stuff like that. And you're you're dealing with it all the time and you're just thinking, if only you knew, you know, uh you know, if only you knew do you think you could perform your job if you get 20,000 fans surrounding you, putting you under pressure? How, do, how well do you think you would do your job? People don't get that, you know? No, I agree, and I think it's that, that misconception is something I'm quite passionate about with this podcast in terms of, I think a lot of people see, especially with the current situation where games are off for the foreseeable, a lot of people assume that there's that every footballer across all levels is earning absolute bucket loads of money, but I've explained to some people in my own family as well who have questioned football, as I say. You think of the guys that are at like Morton, Wraith Rovers, etc. now. I'm fortunate. I've got a, a good, a really good job as a teacher. A lot of those guys at those clubs are earning the same amount of money as me as a teacher or even a wee bit less. But they've not got maybe the security. Now, I've only got a, a kind of year-to-year contract, so I'm in the same boat to an extent. But a lot of teachers have maybe got a permanent contract, whereas in football, there is not really such thing. And I think a lot of people forget that. And it's... It's something I'm interested to ask you about. What advice would you give any footballer coming to the end of their career who doesn't have, as we've talked about, millions in the bank or enough money to live off of for, the, for 10, 12 years? What would what advice would you give them in terms of seeking a career? I think one thing I've learned and, uh, and now is making that step, you've got so many skills. You know, as a football player, has been able to identify skills and, you know, I think it's, it's very difficult to get a clear picture of where you want to go. Uh, you know, some some players might be down the education. I think what you need to establish is saying, do you want to stay in football? Do you want to be a coach? Because a lot of players don't really know if they want to go down that route. I mean, I've taken a few coaching badly, but I was quite, I'm quite strong in my own head. I got to 33 and thought, right, this isn't working. I'm not going to hang about. I'm, I like to be in control of what I'm doing. I thought, I'm going to make a call here. This is what I'm going to do and I'm going to do it. 
like that, I know, I know Alan, Alan found it probably a bit more difficult to leave football, for, you know, for obviously the years I've known him and, you know, was he staying in football, was he going not? Because that's all he ever knew. Yeah. But I think it's, 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 what I would say to guys is you don't be fearful because you've got a lot of skills, a lot of attributes. It's going to be a difficult transition, that there is no doubt. But if, if you can get in the mindset that you know it's going to be difficult, but you know, you're prepared to put in the effort because a lot of employers are keen to employ football players because they're dedicated, they work hard, they train hard, they turn up on time. Basic, basic things that, you know, uh, you would think people normal everyday day of life people do it, but they don't. You know, actually, self-discipline, you know what I mean, and actually having goals and objectives. These, these are all corporate things that, that companies look for. They can train you up, they can show you how to do stuff. You've just got to be willing to learn and take stuff on board. Difficult, uh, don't get me wrong, it's a difficult transition. And even you've seen look players with lots of money end up bankrupt, they don't know what to do and all this kind of stuff. It's trying to get yourself into some, some kind of industry that you, you kind of enjoy. You know, you think you might like it. I mean, I, I played golf with a few people and they said, we think you'd be good in sales. And I ended up getting into sales and I do like it. I like the flexibility. I like being out and about. I like speaking to people. I can work. I've got a real mix. I can't. I can't work in an office. It's not my thing. And being able to identify maybe what what you like and what you don't like, you know, right away can can help you steer you in a direction where you might be able to go. So, what I would say is, is spend a bit of time thinking about it. You know, looking at jobs and speaking to people, getting advice. You know, uh, you know, seeking. You know, about the educational things, or coming up and going to career things and sending people out and and, and just getting a bit feeling for what jobs are out there and what, is, what does that mean what is that job what's that job all about what do I need to do and, you know what do I need to learn just sort of spend a bit of time thinking about it and try and put in as much as, 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 as sort of research as you can before you make that step but, but don't be afraid it's daunting but don't be afraid because you're not the, you're not the first you won't be the last and, and employers you know are, are, are very interested in sports people because they know it's, it's probably a person in their business that they don't have and it's totally different and actually that can be a massive plus to maybe a team or whatever it is so it's, it's, you bring up they bring a lot to the table but it's just trying to understand your own skill set and what you can offer I'd like to finish Derek with a round of quick fire questions first of all who are the best players right, you've played right. who's the best players you've played with uh, I'd probably say David Fernandez, Charlie Miller Lee Boyer, got to say my mate Hoodie, got to say him. <laughs> uh, I've got to be. I mean, I played with Harry Kuehl as well, some guys like that. Uh, Jamie, you know, I mean, phenomenal players. Who are your toughest opponents? And I want to kind of give this question two sides. Who were your toughest opponents, first of all, in Scotland over the piece, and who were your toughest opponents down in England in the Premier League? In Scotland, it was definitely, uh, when you look at Celtic Rangers here, you had. You know, Lorenzo Amoruso at Rangers, you had Jos Fulharen, you had Johan uh, Albi, you had Bobo Balbi at Celtic, see these sort of guys. Oh, in Scotland, that was a nightmare. You know what I mean? He's just physical specimens, beasts, difficult to play against. I'd say that, that that's four of that would be a standout. In terms of England, uh, I played playing against, oh, God, you're talking about, I can always play against, playing against Marcel Desai at Chelsea, and I, I think I hardly got a kick in the ball. That was just for me. That was one of the, that was a proper panini moment. You're thinking, you know, this guy was just on a different level. You know, he knew what I was going to do before I even knew what I was going to do. <laughs> <laughs> just such a good player. 
Who would you say is your most underrated teammate from any of the clubs you played at? Uh, underrated. Well, that's a question. That's underrated player. Sure, you know, I was a boy I played with Dundee United, uh, and it was boy Jamie Buckins. And Jamie Buckins was one of these players who he, everybody knew how good he was, but he, he could play in loads of different positions. But that sometimes can go against him. But Jamie was such a talent, such a talented player, and because of that he could play in other positions. But I, I think. Uh, I think he became a bit underrated because nobody knew what his position was and, and, and that was standard for me because I genuinely used to fill in, in all sorts of different positions, you know, and there's probably a few other players out there I'm doing a disservice to, but it's one that was stand out for me. Jamie's such a nice guy, very talented. In fact, his dad played for Martin, uh, Man United, Martin Bucket. Martin uh, but Jamie came from a real football background, but he was a very, very good player. Um, and I, so I, I probably goes under the radar. Most inspirational captain and why? Inspirational captain. Uh, I would probably need to say. After George, I've somewhere I've always said a lot of respect for Stuart Lovell. Uh, Livingston, Stuart was a captain. Uh, and he was trying. Stuart was quite a good motivator. He was really giving you on the pitch. Didn't matter who you were. Didn't matter. Didn't, no ears or graces. Didn't matter. You know, I could have scored 15 goals. If I didn't do something, you would get an earful. You know, but he was also a good talker, you know, and you know, he was he was very kind of level headed guy, Stuart, and I always always got a lot of respect for Stuart. What was your favourite ground to play at as a player? One of my favourite grounds to play at was, was probably uh, McDermott Park actually. Uh, I used to always go goals there. So I, I don't know what it was, it was just weird one of these grounds you come up. You know, my second season by the United, I was going through a real barren spell and I scored a hat trick at McDermott Park. Scored loads of goals for Morton there, and uh, it's just one of these grounds that I just seem to always know I was, go- I was going to score. Uh, don't get me wrong, I used to love me walking out of Harvey and Ibrox and all the biggest days were great, but there's certain grounds that you turn up and you, you know you're going to score, and that's, that's such a good feeling. What about a bogey ground, a ground that for whatever reason it just didn't come off for you? Because even the best players have got them. The guy Alan Smith, who played for Arsenal and, and Leicester, he always goes on about the fact he never scored a goal at Old Trafford and it annoys him to this day. Uh, I, I, I'm trying to think. Uh, bogey grounds. just a ground you hate okay. that you hated going to as, even as a team was there a particular ground where it was a lower league ground where if you got them in a the cup or you had to play them you just thought the pitch isn't good or this is going to be a tough slog I, I think there was, a, there, was a, there was a few like that there was a, the old Stennis Morocco that was a nightmare there pitch was dead open used to blow a gale and Berwick as well it was a horrible horrible place to go <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, play, play some games East Fife was another one the old stadium the old day of year it was horrible uh, so there's a few that were uh, horrible grounds last question I've got for you is who was the best manager for you in your career and why? Uh, I would probably say Alan McGraw. Uh, I think, not just because he was my first manager, but I think just 
you know, looking back over the years and reflecting on the managers that I played well under, Alan McGall, Alex Smith, and two that I probably played, even David Hay, they were all people who, they weren't shouters and ballers. They were somebody, they spoke to you, they encouraged you, they talked to you, and that brought the best out of me. And I think, you know, Alan McGall, to pick a young boy out of sort of oblivion, so to speak, and stick him in a team and just say run fast and score goals, you know, that fills you with confidence. You know, you probably don't, you, you probably doubt yourself, but when somebody gives you that confidence and that level of responsibility, you know, it's, you know, it's think it's one time, you know, and if you love it and you, and, and you thrive on it, then it's great. And I think that was, that was one thing for me. It always stuck in, stuck in my head my whole career was, uh, you know, was run fast and score goals. Sorry about that. <laughs> Not a problem. It's been an absolute pleasure, Derek. I've really enjoyed the chat. I've enjoyed the fact that you've not just talking. You've not just talked about the, the highlights of football, winning major trophies. I, li- I really like the fact that you spent time talking about what it's like to start working before you're a footballer, and then obviously get back to working after it. Because I think that's something at the moment, especially in the current situation, that that could help a lot of people listening to this, which I think's very good of you. So thank you very much. No, I appreciate that I'm doing the time. I'm, I'm so conscious now when you know, I get the opportunity to, to speak about life after football because I've had to work hard for the last 10 or 11 years and, and, and I've been relatively successful, but it's, it's came through hard work. And, you know, but making that step is, is such a key, key part. And I know it's challenging. You know, I've got all these mental health issues just now and I'm always conscious that football players, uh, you know, they're kind of they're unusual breed, you know, and it's trying to make that next step in life can be such a challenge. I'm always conscious to sort of, you know, speak to people and help them and any, any information I can ever sort of support I can give them, I'm always going to do it. Brilliant. Top man, thank you very much. No problem, Cam. You take care, mate. Thanks again. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song Dive down to the ocean And we'll make her home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song